please turn with me in your Bibles <clears throat> to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you grabbed a Bible from the back, um, that's found on page 1016. It says 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be going through verses 1 through 4. Take a moment as you're turning there. Listen along as I read. <clears throat> Follow along. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is a great day in the history of heritage. It's a day when we get to recognize not merely one, but actually two gifts, gifts from none other than the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Good Shepherd. That's what he called himself, the Great Shepherd. That's what the writer to the Hebrews called him. Indeed, the chief shepherd, what Peter calls him in the text that you just heard read. And these two wonderful gifts are sitting right this moment, right in front of me. They are, as you well know, because they've just been prayed for, our brother Keith and our brother Thad. They're with their wives, and in the case of Thad, their children. And I want to say good morning to you, brothers. Thank you for sitting on the front row. I'd like you to do that the rest of your life, okay? <laughs> We're going to recognize these two gifts as a church by ordaining them in just a little while. Some of you may be saying, what's that mean, ordaining? Well, just listen and watch. And I can assure you that by the end of the service, you will know what it means. My desire this morning is to speak a word of encouragement. In fact, two words of encouragement. One of them to our soon-to-be-ordained shepherds, and the other to you, our dear sheep. But just before I speak those two words of encouragement, allow me to give everyone, uh, especially for the sake of those of you who are newer, a very brief ecclesiology. And ecclesiology just means the study of the church. What do the scriptures teach about 
what the church is, what the church should be, how the church should be organized, and so forth. And I'm just going to zero in on one tiny aspect of that wonderful doctrine of the church. Namely, I want us to think about her Christ-appointed officers. And I'm going to assert three things that are very biblical about the offices of the church. First, the New Testament clearly teaches that there are only two offices in the church. The office of elder and the office of deacon. Elders are to shepherd the flock of God by exercising oversight. You just read that. But what if, what if there were only elders? What if your pastors, your elders, were overwhelmed and preoccupied with and just continually distracted by mowing the church lawn, painting and cleaning the building, doing maintenance on it, counting the offerings, going to the bank, paying the bills, preparing the annual budget, being sure the needs of the widows were being met, taking care of legal matters, helping people move from one place to another, ordering curriculum for Sunday school, organizing all of the teaching ministries of the church, etc., 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 etc. What if that were the case? Well, obviously, then those elders wouldn't have any time to study the Word of God, to preach the Word of God, to counsel with the Word of God those who are troubled, to administer soul care to those who are needy, and especially to pray. We would have no time for these weightier matters. And that's why God gives the church deacons. It all started in Acts 6, but we won't go there. They serve so that the elders can shepherd. They serve so that the elders can shepherd. So, regarding this office of elder, let me just say three things about it very quickly and finish off our little mini-ecclesiology. Point number one. In these two offices, which I've already indicated, actually this is point number two, elder and deacon, I want you to understand that with regard to the elders, the Bible uses three different words interchangeably concerning this office. Those words are elders, that word's already been used several times today, Overseers, that word was embedded in our text, and shepherds. Those are all interchangeable words. You can see it in Philippians 1.1, which we will not uh, turn to now, but when Paul writes to that church in Philippi, he says to all the saints at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Notice he used the word overseers, not elders. But overseers and elders are the same person. There are different perspectives on their ministry and their office and their responsibility. So we see it in Philippians 1. We actually see it in our text. Let me just show you verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, and then skip down to the beginning of verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. 
what would you call a person who spends his life shepherding? (laughs) You'd call him a shepherd. And that's what pastors are. And the word pastor is just another form of the word shepherd. However, it is interesting that the word pastor is only found one time in our New Testaments. It's in Ephesians 4. Christ gave pastor slash teachers to the church. The more frequently used word concerning this office is shepherd. But you will also notice in our text the usage of the word overseeing, oversight. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is, am- that is among you. And you can just kind of, if you want to insert the little word by, because that's clearly what's being implied, shepherd the flock of God that is among you by exercising oversight. What would you call a person who spends his life overseeing? You'd call him an overseer. So those are the three words that are used interchangeably in the New Testament. Elder or elders, shepherds or pastors, and overseers. So let me just show you one more text or two, and then um, I'm going to bring my little ecclesiology to a close. If you would just go with me for one moment back to Acts chapter 20, and you may remember that toward the end of that chapter, Paul gathers the elders of the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is a city, still exists, and the, the old remains are there in Turkey in western Turkey. In verse 17, we read, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. I'm going to make a point about that. Just notice, elders of the church. And then, in verse 28, what does he tell them to do? He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. This is implying that there are sheep to be cared for. And if they're caring for them, they're also shepherds. And then the verse goes on to say, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There it is again. And we find this over and over. We find it also in Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Paul tells Titus, he speaks to Titus about the elders. And in verse 7 of chapter 1, He talks about them overseeing. So, point number two, elder, overseer, shepherd, three names for the same person. What am I? Am I an elder or am I an overseer? Or am I a shepherd? And of course, the answer is, I'm all three. So are my fellow pastors and so are these two brothers who are coming on to this eldership. So, only two offices, the words for the title of these men who hold them, particularly the office of elder, are interchangeable. And one more quick observation, and that's simply this, that the norm in the New Testament is for every local church to have a plurality of elders. I said that's the norm. It doesn't mean that you don't have a true church if you only have one pastor. Uh, John Owen is famous for saying, A plurality of elders is not necessary for the being of a church. 
is necessary for the well-being of a church. So as soon as possible, every local church that has only one pastor should seek to have more pastors. And that doesn't mean they're brought on staff and it's their part of the budget. It means they're shepherds. It means they're fellow elders. So that's the norm in the scriptures. And we see that over and over and over. And my final text in this little ecclesiology would be to ask you one more time to turn now this time just to Acts 14. I'm just nailing this down and I'm bending the nail over. Acts 14. And I want you to notice verse 23. Acts 14, 23. It says, And when they had appointed elders, plural, for them in every church, singular, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. Shortly after their first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas go back to the churches that were planted, and as soon as possible, they appoint elders for every church. Now, we don't have apostles to appoint them. Now the appointment comes through the church. But you see the concept of a plurality. So there's your little ecclesiology. If your life depended on it and someone said to you, how many offices are warranted by the New Testament for the local church, you should say two elders and deacons. If you were asked, what are the various names for a pastor? The answer is he can be called a shepherd or pastor. They're virtually the same. He can be called an elder. The elder speaks of his, hopefully, his wisdom. And he can be called an overseer. So in one sense, the word elder is sort of the office in another sense, the word overseer is sort of the function. Shepherd is function. So we have elders who shepherd by overseeing. May I say that once more? Listen, this is really quite important. So we have elders who shepherd by overseeing the flock. So much for a little class in ecclesiology, except I'll just add this question. It's my own persuasion that churches in our day tend to be very, very unbiblical with regard to what I've just said in these last 10 minutes. What, what do you think would happen if you went up to the average member of the average church in our community and think now, for example, of a typical Southern Baptist church, and this isn't a slam on Southern Baptists, we're a Southern Baptist church. What do you think the answer would be if you said, so how many elders do you have? You say, elders? We don't have elders. We've got a pastor and we've got deacons. No, how many elders do you have? We don't have elders. Well, if you've got a pastor, you've got an elder. They just simply haven't been taught that. Or if you were to say to the same person, how many overseers are there in your church? What do you honestly think the average person would say? Say, I, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Well, I guess I've seen that word in the Bible. Well, I want to remind you now, not this imaginary person, that the word pastor is only found one time in the New Testament. But the word elder and elders is found over and over and over, and so is the word overseers. All right, done with our ecclesiology. Now let me come to these two words of encouragement. First, a word of encouragement to our new shepherds. And I, I want to speak to you guys, brothers, Keith and Thad, for these next 15 minutes. The rest of you can uh, 
eavesdrop, and I hope it, you can eavesdrop to your, <laughs> to your edification, to your benefit. Keith and Thad, I use the word shepherds in my statement, a word of encouragement to the shepherds. I'm using the word shepherds on purpose, and I'll tell you why if it's not already on, obvious. It's because the key word in our text is shepherd. But before I get to that key word, let me just quickly touch upon the parenthesis that pre precedes it. You notice he starts, now we're back in 1 Peter 5, I exhort the elders among you, he's writing to a church, and by the way, that starts with so in the NIV or the ESV, it starts with therefore in most translations. There's a relationship here, this, this letter is written to a lot of suffering Christians all over Asia Minor, all over what we would call um, Western Turkey. You find this, those provinces mentioned in the very first verse of the first chapter. So he's writing to, this is a general epistle. This is not a particular epistle written to Corinth or written to Rome or written to the church at Thessalonica. This is a general epistle going all over the place. And so he, he's writing to elders that are all over Turkey, what we call Turkey now. But notice there's a parenthesis. And I would, if I were to draw in, as actually I have done in my Bible, this a long time ago in pencil, I exhort the elders among you, parentheses, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, end parentheses, shepherd the flock. Well, I, I should say a word about the parentheses, just a word. Peter is reminding all of the elders here, brothers, that he too is an elder. In fact, he doesn't say he's just an elder. He says, I'm a fellow elder. Isn't that a nice word? Thank you, Peter. That's right. You were a pastor too. And you sat under the ultimate pastor, the ultimate shepherd. And I'm just encouraged, guys, that when Peter writes and speaks to us now, to Keith and Mark and me and you guys, he doesn't say, by the way, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's already said that. But now when he comes to speak to us about our office and our task, he says, I just want you to know I'm with you. I'm a fellow elder. He identifies with us. He's one of us. He's down in the trenches with us. He knows our job. He knows what it's all about. He knows its ups and its downs. He knows its joys and its sorrows. He knows how blessed it can be. He knows how brutal the ministry can be. And he would say to, her, to us, been there, done that. You know that not all men leave the ministry because of moral failure. Some of them leave the ministry because they just simply break down and become too weary and probably needed this passage brought to their attention more frequently. So, brothers, and I speak to Mark and Keith and myself, Peter's our fellow elder, 
in his exhortation, comes to us with a sympathetic heart as a pastor. Secondly, in the parentheses, just quickly, he says he was a personal eyewitness of the crucifixion. We know that. Peter saw that. We weren't there then, and these readers and the pastors in these churches weren't there then. But now we are all witnesses of the crucifixion in a different way, aren't we? That's the heart of our message. We witness about the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, he just reminds them at the end of that little parenthesis that he's, he's a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, not the glory that has been revealed. He's not talking about the transfiguration, although he had a taste of the glory. He's talking about the glory that is to be revealed. He says, I'm a partaker of it. And, and I don't think he means to imply that you aren't a partaker. All pastors are partakers of it. And at the end of this message of these words to you, brothers, you're going to see that, in fact, we look forward to a crown of glory and we will be partakers of it in days to come. So that's what, that's what he tells us by way of the parentheses. Now, I want to get right to the heart of this then. What is, what is the word of encouragement that Peter is giving to you guys and to the rest of us? Well, here's how it should really be read now. So I exhort the elders among you. I mean, this is how it should be read if you really want to get to the heart of what we're supposed to do. Okay? I exhort the elders among you. Skip the parentheses. Go to verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. And then he tells us how to do that and how not to do it. So what is the fundamental task of an elder, of a pastor. It is to shepherd the flock by exercising oversight. That's the task. That's what we have to keep our focus upon at all times. And I want you guys to take this more seriously, perhaps, if possible, than you've ever taken it before. I don't know if that's possible. I'm sure that God can give us all grace, Mark and Keith and me as well, to take this even more seriously than we've ever taken it before. That God has called us, the five of us now, to shepherd this flock and the many who are not with us today, as is always the case, because on every Lord's Day, so many of our dear people are gone and some of them are not well as we already know about today but our task brothers is to shepherd this flock by overseeing them you can't shepherd without oversight you can't really be an overseer without being a shepherd but he tells us to shepherd exercising oversight and i just want to challenge you guys that even though you are lay elders and there's another point about a little ecclesiology, but I won't get off on that. The Bible gives us the category of lay elders and supported elders. Paul talks about it in 1 Timothy. You brothers are lay elders, and I know that you won't have the time that Mark and Keith and I presently have being fully supported. You won't have the same degree of time, but the task is still the same. You guys have to help us shepherd and that means that you, you need to be thinking through our flock 
our flock of sheep individually. You need to be considering their deepest needs. You need to be praying through the church directory, which we're all hopefully going to do in 2018, and that's why we're having it published in 31 pages, so that you can pray for four families. But how much more important for, is it for us as elders to be on our knees pleading the cause of these dear families, naming them as Pastor Mark did today. I was blessed by him going through your families, your extended families, and that's what we all need to do as pastors. We need to take individual consideration of all of our members. We need to consider their deepest needs. We need to be praying for them. We need to be meeting with them. We need to be inquiring of them about the state of their souls, about the state of their marriages, about the state of their families. And that's something that we want to work with you guys on as a team. And we welcome your help to us. It's not like you're coming to serve us. It's like we're coming to serve one another. And I just want to pause to say, you are my pastors. I may be your pastor, but in no more of a way than you are now my pastor. I need you men in my life. And I thank you that you have been in my life, especially Keith, for all these years. And who in the world has ever come into our church and for such a short period of time, like our brother Thad, to win our hearts and to care for our souls. But you need to shepherd me, and you need to shepherd Mark, and you need to shepherd Keith, and you need to shepherd these dear sheep. And though you don't have the same time that we have to do these things, you must be praying over this flock. You must talk to these dear sheep. You must find out how they're doing. You must get on your knees and plead their causes. So, brothers, that's what you're to do. Now, how do you do it? Well, you know, he has in this next section, in verse 2 and 3, what I would call three not buts. Three not buts. I'm sure you've noticed them before, and I hope you noticed them as they were read today. And they're beautiful, and they're very helpful to us. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly. You're to shepherd and to oversee how? Not under compulsion, but willingly. I like the way the NIV translates it. It says, but not because you must, but because you're willing. Because you desire to. And the second not but is not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And again, the NIV puts this helpfully. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. And the third not but is not in a domineering way, but in an exemplary way. And the NIV translates that, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flocks. Let me take it more, let me put it even more down on the ground than the NIV. What this means, Keith and Thad, is that you are to shepherd and exercise your oversight of this church out of an eagerness to serve not out of an obligation. You are to shepherd by being concerned about, not being concerned about what you can get, but what you can give. And you guys are to lead by example. How important, how helpful, how critical is example? And by the way, how harmful is a bad example? It just undermines everything we do, everything. And I was reading this week in preparation for this message from 
from a Puritan uh, who lived in the 1600s. His last name was Nesbitt. And this is what he says. He gives 10 applications from these three but nots. He says, that which does so much complete or round off the ministers of Jesus Christ, that which really brings them to the complete maturity that they need to have for effectiveness, is when their abilities to teach and rule and other inward qualifications, they have also such an external conversation, and that doesn't mean talk, that's just old English for behavior or lifestyle, that they have also such an external lifestyle as may be alluring to the flock and worthy of their imitation. Do we think as often as we ought? I don't, but we ought to. How much is just my life doing? Forget about my words for a minute. How about just my life? Is it having a shepherding influence? Do people look at our lives and say, wow, that's what it means to be Christ-like. And by the way, that's what oozes through this whole passage because in just a second we're going to see that, that he is the ultimate shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. Jesus was a pastor. Jesus was a pastor. He had a very small congregation and he spoke to larger groups who gathered, but he pastored his disciples, the apostles. He is the chief. He is the good shepherd. And that doesn't mean that he's just a good person. It means that he does that work good. He's really good at it. And we need to be really good at being pastors and shepherds and overseers. And we need to be great at it because he's also called the great shepherd. And he's the chief shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. We need to be like Jesus. And the more we're like Jesus, the more it should show up in our life. And the more people ought to be able to look at us and say, that's what I want to be. And I fear that often our biggest influence is our words. And they should be influential. But what about the life? Peter is calling you guys in this text to be examples. You see that. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And here's here's the why. The what? Shepherds. The how? By exercising oversight. The why? Look at the last, look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the Olympics in those days, they were given wreaths, but eventually they wilted and they withered. And you just show your children and your grandchildren a dried up wreath it still showed what you once were but we're going to get we're going to get something that will not ever pass away it's going to be an unfading crown of glory 
We must keep that in our view. You guys, join us in keeping that in your view. Now, finally, a word of encouragement to the sheep, and this will be a bit shorter. You all know the passage in Ephesians 4. I'm not going to have us turn there right now. But there's where Paul says that Christ, the ascended Christ, has given to the church gifts. And he names the gifts. Some of those gifts are no longer with the church, but I'll tell you the one that is with the church. Pastor slash teachers. That's the way it should really be translated. Pastor teachers. That's why every pastor has to be apt to teach. But what I want to say to you, dear congregation, this morning, and I want to remind you of this in a loving way, is that Ephesians 4 says, He gave pastor teachers. I just want to emphasize the word He for a second, not He gave. He gave. Who is this He? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, congregation. Some gifts are very precious to us because of who gave them, even if the gift itself isn't that precious. Maybe you got a, a little ribbon that came out of the Bible of your grandmother, and you loved her so much, and you wept and mourned when she went to be with the Lord, but she gave you that little ribbon. What is it worth? It's really not worth anything. It's, it's raveled now. It's faded. But oh, is it worth something? That came from Grandma. I love it. Some grandmothers have lived long enough to give to their granddaughters their diamond ring and saying, I'm not going to be here much longer. I want you to have this. And maybe you can talk your fiancé into giving it to you, give that to you. But whether he gives you a different one or not, this ring is valuable. It's not just valuable because Grandma gave it. It's valuable because it's a diamond. And I'm saying to you, congregation, pastors are not just precious because Christ gave them, but because Christ gave them what will be good for your souls. The gift itself is precious. Nothing like him, but still precious. Every time a true pastor is given to a church, it's a wonderful gift. And I hope you congregation will take these two new gifts seriously. I hope you'll thank God for these gifts. They're given to you by the head of the church, by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, for the well-being of your soul. These men are added gifts to this eldership to help you get to heaven. How's that for something significant? They're going to be guides to help you become more like Christ. They're going to be guides to help you grow in grace. Guides in some cases maybe to save your marriage. Guides to help your children experience salvation. Guides to help you through family issues. Guides to give you needed counsel when you're deeply depressed. Guides to help see you conquer your remaining sin. Guides who get on their knees and plead for you at the throne of grace. The list goes on and on and on and on. The gift of a pastor is a wonderful gift. Not only because of who gave it, because of how that gift functions in your lives. And I just want to 
challenge you, congregation, please treat these gifts as though they were precious. You know why? Because they are precious. Don't let your pastors irritate you. And we can really irritate people. We irritate our wives and we irritate our children. We're pretty rough. You forgive us when we irritate you. Because we're not, we're still not like Jesus enough. But what I'm asking is that in spite of all of our warts, let's call them, please try to see us. Please try to see these two men, Keith and Thad, as a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ, the ascended Savior, to your soul for your spiritual well-being. And the more you think of your pastor as a gift, and it really doesn't have anything to do with his personality. It has everything to do with his shepherding by exercising oversight. The more you see him as a gift, the more thankful you will be and the more effective he will be in your life. You know what? A true pastor is one in a thousand. I'm going to conclude by reading these words of John Bunyan in his famous Pilgrim's Progress. He takes a man into a special house where he shows him things that are going to be lifelong lessons. And it says, he bid his servant open the door, the which, when he had done, Christian saw the picture of a very serious person hanging up against the wall. And this was the fashion of it. It, this person, had eyes lifted up to heaven. The best of books in his hand. The law of truth was written upon his lips. The world was behind his back. It or he stood as if he pleaded with men. And a crown of gold did hang over his head. What's that? That's the picture of a pastor. Then said Christian, what meaneth this? The man whose picture, says interpreter, the man whose picture this is, is one of a thousand. He can beget children, travail and birth the children, and nurse them himself when they are born. And whereas thou seest him with his eyes lift up to heaven, the best books in his hand, and the law of truth writ on his lips, it is to show you that his work is to know and unfold dark things to sinners, even as also thou seest him stand as if he pleaded with men. And whereas thou seest the world cast behind him, and that a crown hangs over his head, that is to show you that slighting and despising the things that are present for the love that he hath to his master's service, he is sure in that world that comes next to have glory for his reward. Brothers and sisters, I leave you with this. These two men have gifts from the head of the church. They're going by his grace to focus on shepherding the flock and to do it the way Peter said to do it and to do it with a view of the glory that shall be revealed. But my fellow elders and I presently plead with you to receive them, embrace them, thank the Lord for them, benefit from their ministry. Love your pastors, 
respect your pastors, pray for your pastors, encourage your pastors, relish their preaching and teaching, submit cheerfully to their leadership, and follow their example. So there it is, a brief ecclesiology, a word of encouragement to Keith and Thad, and a brief word of encouragement to you, our dear sheep. May the Lord help us. Help us to be a church that has biblical ecclesiology. Help us to be a church that has biblical shepherds. Help us to be a church that has godly sheep. And now it's time to formally set these brothers apart by asking some vital questions to them and to you as a congregation and then to lay hands on them and to pray. So I'm going to ask Pastor Mark if he will come forward now and lead us. Thad, Keith, if you all will come stand right in front of the uh, table facing me and Pastor Ted and Pastor Keith. Congregation of Jesus Christ, today we celebrate God's gift of faithful leadership for his people, and we joyfully thank him for you two brothers. In the offices of the church, we see the love of Christ for his people. As the Lord of the church, he appoints leaders, and by his spirit, he equips them so that believers might grow in the faith, develop disciplined Christian living, and serve others in selfless love, as well as sharing with all the good news of salvation. He taught us the spirit of true leadership when he said in Matthew 20, whoever wants to become great among you, you must, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Elders serve by governing the church in Christ's name. They received this task when Jesus entrusted the apostles and their successors with the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Elders are thus responsible for the spiritual well-being of God's people. They must provide true preaching and teaching, regular celebration of the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism, and faithfully counsel and discipline while keeping in confidence those matters entrusted to them. And they must promote fellowship and hospitality among the church, ensure good order, and stimulate witness. So, brothers... To express your acceptance of this office, I want to ask you a few questions. We want to ask you these questions through my voice. And here in the presence of God and of his church, please answer them with an I do. Thad and Keith, do you believe that in the call of this congregation that God himself is calling you to the pastorate? Do you believe that the Old and New Testaments are the word of God the only infallible rule of faith and life? Do you subscribe to the doctrinal standards of this church, rejecting all teaching which contradicts them? And finally, would you answer this final question, I do God helping me. Do you promise to do the work of your offices faithfully in a way worthy of your calling and in submission to the government and discipline of the church? If you do, say, I do God helping me. Well, we charge you, brothers, as our fellow elders now, to guard yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Be a friend and Christ-like example to children. 
give clear and cheerful guidance to young people. By word and example, bear up God's people in their pain and weakness and celebrate their joys with them. Hold in trust all sensitive matters confided to you. Encourage the aged to persevere in God's promises. Be wise counselors who support and strengthen each other and us. Be compassionate yet firm and consistent in rebuke and discipline. Know the scriptures which are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Pray continually for the church. Remember at all times that if you would truly give spiritual leadership in the household of faith, we must be completely mastered by our Lord. And to to the congregation of Heritage Baptist Church, we charge you, people of God, to receive these new pastors as Christ's gift to the church, as, as, as has already been encouraged. Recognize in them the Lord's provision for healthy congregational life. Hold them in honor, take their counsel seriously, respond to them with obedience and respect, and accept their help with thanksgiving. Sustain them in prayer and encourage them with your support, especially when they feel the burden of their office. Acknowledge them as the Lord's servants among you. Do you, congregation, pledge before the Lord Jesus to receive these men as you have been thus charged? If you do, please answer collectively, we do, God helping us. Well, now our pastor Keith is going to lead us in a, in a prayer um, as we lay hands on these two brothers and offer ourselves and our, our church together collectively to God for his blessing. So, Pastor Keith, will you come? You brothers, just take one step down and turn around face the congregation, and we'll come in behind you. Heavenly Father, what can we say to you? (laughs) These precious gifts that have been given through the sacrifice of your son, who reigns at the right hand of God right now to give gifts to his church, outside of giving us him and the Holy Spirit, We confess together that these shepherds that you're giving us are the best ever gifts you could ever give us. God, we when we read what the responsibilities and duties and privileges are, both for them and for the congregation, God, we fall on our faces and we say, We've got to have your help. We've got to equip them. Use them for your glory. Make them men of in exemplary integrity and, and, and sacrifice and good counsel and, and teaching. And 
Oh, God, we thank you for the diversity that it brings to our eldership. We thank you for their experiences, their godliness, their understanding of the scripture, their perspectives on things that will bless our congregation. Oh, God, you're so good to us. <laughs> we feel like uh, there's a waterfall of, of, of blessing being poured out upon Heritage Baptist Church. God, make our congregation and, and us as also members of it uh, to esteem them, uh, to admire them, to follow them, to bless them, to pray for them, to learn from them, to, to want to be like them. Oh, God, please, please make us all as pastors exemplary, blameless men before this congregation. One more time, we bow in worship. If we could kneel down and fall on our faces and weep for an hour for this good gift to us, these two gifts of Thad and Keith, pastors with us, in the name of Jesus, we lift up our praises and thanksgiving. Amen.